Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode of the show, I'm very happy to have author Carla Starr, co-author with Chip Heath of the new book, Making Numbers Count. Um, this is a topic that's sort of near and dear to my heart because especially for working in the federal government for a long time, how do we effectively communicate large numbers? Do you have any idea what 275 trillion dollars means? Do you have any idea, even if I compared that to uh, stacking empire state buildings on top of each other, that they would go from here to the moon and back? I don't know if those comparisons are correct, by the way. But are those even relatable? Does that even help you? I don't think so. And Carla and Chip have written this great book. It's a really nice, short, easy read. I really highly recommend it about making these better comparisons and how we can all do so. And we talk in the interview about doing this kind of verbally or within our writing, but we also talk a little bit about how we can apply it to our data visualizations, which is not a focal point of the book, but of course, for listeners of this show is particularly important. So I'm gonna head off and let you listen to this interview with Carla Starr, co-author of the new book, Making Numbers Count. I hope you'll enjoy it. Hi, Carla, welcome to the show. Great to see you. Hey, thanks so much for having me, John. Great to be here. Uh, I'm very excited to chat with you. New book, Making Numbers Count. You and Chip Heath, you got your name right there. Oh, look at that, right, right on the bottom. We'll, we'll both hold up our <laughs> copies of the book right on the bottom. It's got a nice big ruler on it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, I, I think you have hit on a huge problem, challenge. I don't know if it's a problem, but a huge challenge in oh, the it's data communication. Yeah, it's yeah. both. Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe you can give folks like the quick you know synopsis and and but more like what i'm interested in you know for folks who haven't heard about it or read it you can maybe give a quick synopsis but what i'm interested in is like why did you come to this why was this the book that you wanted to write you know what was the motivating factor behind it well chip and i had been discussing books to write together for a while and we've gone through a bunch of different topics and then he told me that um for his class because teaching at Stanford made the stick. They were talking about, um, you know, the importance of not using numbers for a while. And then during, you know, some year when he was teaching it, some person who was in his role in his class uh, was also um, was in, he was in finance. And he said, you know, I can't not use numbers. You know, numbers are my world. So yeah. he started developing this little module, this little class on how they can use numbers within the made the stick framework. Um, and so that was the, the inspiration, like the basis for the idea. And so when I started doing research, I started, you know, doing all this, like, really fascinating research about numbers and communication, and we hit upon the idea that numbers are a foreign language, right? They're everybody's yeah. second, second language at best. And I think a lot of times people might think that they are, they're bad at math, or they're bad at you know, numbers, and they, they're just not a numbers person, but really no one is a numbers person. You know, our brain, you know, evolved to deal with physical, concrete things that are right in front of our face, you know, mm -hmm. not with the abstract, like, you know, 5% you know, we're 1 trillion. So because of that, you can't talk about numbers in a way that people understand them, but you need to really understand just the, the, how to translate them. And that's why I wrote the book. Yeah. yeah. Um, so can you give me an example, like a, just a quick example to sort of set the stage for folks, like give me an example of making that, you know, trillion dollars or, you know, five, you know, whatever the debt is now, trillions and trillions of dollars, making it more understandable and relatable. Yeah, so the 
the example in the book is, you know, the, new, the U.S. national debt is $27 trillion. Um, I think now it's higher. Yeah, um, but right. <laughs> Pre-COVID versus post-COVID, right? Yeah. Oh, man, I know. Well, that's the thing, you know, this book is like out of date the second, it, you know, it was printed. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so $27 trillion uh, per person, that's $82,000. Mm-hmm. So if you just think about every single person you see, you know, $82,000, $82,000, that's a lot of money, obviously. Um, right. So that's one of the examples that we use in the book um, where it's just, uh, I mean, our brains cannot process $27 trillion. So I just, I do want to say that I think my favorite example in the book is one that I actually remember from TV from when I was a kid. It was on Earth Day. At some point, I was watching some, you know, special online, um, not online, there's no, there was no internet when I was that young. No online, um, yeah. <laughs> there is no online. I'm not no online, yeah. <laughs> some people are listening to this, like, what do you mean there's no online? Yeah, there's, there's no online. <laughs> Where did you use the internet? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the statistic was, uh, what, 97.5% of the Earth's water is salinated, and of the 2.5% that is fresh water, most of it is dirty or trapped in glaciers or underground. Right. Um, meaning that only 0.01% of that is available for human consumption. So our translation for that, and this is what was shown on TV on Earth Day when I was a kid that I still remember very clearly. There's a wow. woman holding a gallon jug of water. And she said, if you took all the Earth's water and put it into this gallon jug, humans would only be able to drink that last drop. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah, I mean, and the fact that it's stuck in your head, right? Like, I mean, that's yeah. kind of the whole point, right? But um, do you, to, to the debt, to the debt one, because the debt one, having spent a lot of time in government, like the debt one strikes me as very a challenge I always had. Boiling it down to like per person, do we lose the sense of the magnitude? Does the magnitude like, is it just so big that it doesn't really matter in the first place? It's like kind of looking at the Grand Canyon and you're like, I can't fathom that. So it doesn't really matter. Right, right. It's like you're looking, you know, last night I was like looking at the stars. It was just a beautiful clear night. And I was like, that is very far away. You know, that like, right. <laughs> you know, it's right. like, like, okay, it's, yeah, like one, two, yeah. three trillion. Um, I think you do lose something, and I actually, um, one of the things that I wanted to put in the book was um, a little example of the U.S. our budget, or at least the debt, but it, put it into mm-hmm. smaller terms. We have this uh, yeah. framework at the end about making scale models of things that I really, really like, and I think that that really seems to resonate with people. You take the same numbers, but you just chop off a few zeros, and then you can yeah. talk about it maybe in terms of a family's income and their expenditures, right? a family's budget. And then you would right. get the sense of, oh, this is how much we are spending, you know, per person. This is how unsustainable our spending practices are. You know, you know, we're spending. So we actually were kind of um, working with a little example about that. You know, saying, okay, so if the U.S. government was a family, you know, they would spend what half of their income on a security system. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> so then, what? So then, what about this um, connection or trade-off between accuracy and the the more effective communication like if something is 1.85 trillion dollars um sometimes that 0.85 is really important if we said it's about two or if it's eighty thousand dollars per person or whatever it is we sort of lose that accuracy so how do you think about that trade-off 
Right. So there's this principle in the book called user-friendly numbers. Um, so that would be, you know, saying $2 trillion would stick with people and resonate with people and people will be able to just understand that a lot better than $1.85 trillion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you think about, like, you know, your brain is having to store, like, one unit of information versus, like, you know, three units of information. I think really this comes down to know your audience so much because I do find that people a lot of times when they're talking within their industry or within their discipline, you know, like I've been talking with a lot of financial advisors lately and they're so used to using, you know, compound interest and interest rates and like all of these different things. Um, And so they can talk to each other about it just fine. The problem is when they try to talk to a client or potential client, and then they forget about the fact that, you know, for the client, user-friendly has a much different definition than to a mm-hmm. colleague. Yeah. And their framework is much different. Um, so I, I do think it, a lot of this does depend on, you know, know your audience and what would be friendly to that particular user. Um, yeah. And then also, I think to your point about, um, you know, sometimes, you know, if you're in the government, you have to use 1.85 trillion instead of 2 trillion. You know, I guess I would push back with why. You know, mm-hmm. like why is it so important? Is it because everybody in the audience would know that you were rounding and then they would begin to doubt like the, you know, breath or like the truthfulness of your data. Mm-hmm. Um, or do they think that you're trying to like, you know, advance some sort of agenda, you know, by right. rounding or right. something. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's, that's right. And like you said, it depends on who you're trying to communicate with your audience. So the financial advisor example is really interesting. So when you talk to folks, in say the financial industry and you talk about these comparisons and you talk about the, cause you mentioned like the other words like compound interest. I wonder as people you're talking to and working with, you get them to start thinking about phrasing numbers in a different way. Do you also, or do they also start thinking about just the other words that they use? Like, for example, I can imagine someone saying 1.25% compound interest, blah, 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 blah. And both of those things might be really difficult for a non-specialist to like understand. So do you find as people start to make the numbers more uh, relatable, they also start thinking about just the other words that they use and how they communicate? I do think that um, using other words sort of naturally follows if you think about the numbers a little differently. So Mm -hmm. for example, with the the financial planners, I was... um, I used the example uh, recently, I was considering having the floors redone in my home. They're mm-hmm. kind of scratched up. And so, you know, I had some people come in and give estimates and it was like $8,000, you know? So I was thinking $8,000. Okay. From the financial planner standpoint, they'd say, okay, so um, what would that look like? That would look like, you know, in a few decades or, you know, however many years, it would be like $20,000, you know, or right. put, put another way for there's a savings goal that I have. Um, I would be able to reach my savings goal like maybe eight months faster, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't have my hardwood floors done. So then now I'm, t- I'm thinking about time, right? So now mm-hmm. like that's my unit of currency. So now I'm thinking about my hardwood floors and that's eight months away. And it has nothing to do with compound interest. However, if you take yeah. the $8,000 and you put it in a bank account, you know, compound interest, blah, blah, blah. Um, so you don't really even have to talk about that, all the specific things, because now I'm just talking about time and I'm just talking about like, you know, how much work I would have to do in order right. to like save for the floors or when I would be losing, yeah. like what the trade-offs would be for the floors. Right. Yeah. So it's just re sort of recouching or restating or reframe. It's really reframing it. Exactly. You're reframing it in a, vo- a common vocabulary. 
um, mm-hmm. so that you don't even really have to talk about like all the the nitty gritty specifics about compound interest. I find too that mm-hmm. is one of those things where people, I think we're all slightly scarred from some math class or some math lesson. I'm just sort of set whether or not we want to re- admit it. So I think sometimes when you just say the word interest, people are like, oh, you know, but if yeah. you talk about it in terms of like um, time or a trade off or any other kind of um, a unit of measurement that just it feels more natural or, or, you know, more used to dealing with or say like, oh, you can get the hardwood floors or, or you, you know, wouldn't be able to go on vacation, you know, for how many years, you know, now we're talking right. about you know, currency that is very important and near and dear to my mental health. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then there's that added piece. I mean, I guess it's separate from the numbers, but the added piece of, I'm just looking at my scratched up floors, uh, <laughs> the utility of having those floors look better for the next X number of years. Like I, I have to retire eight months later, but I have the floors looking nicer for at least part of that time until someone scratches it. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. So there's yeah. always that trade-off. So there was one uh, example, again, we were working with, we didn't put in the book, um, you know, and then so I went, I moved here uh, a year and a half ago from New York. So, you know, my furniture, I'm now in Portland, Oregon. I now I actually have a little bit of living space, which I did not have before. So I had furniture <laughs> and I was trying, I was thinking like all, all of these things, right. But the trade-offs, like, should I buy like the nice couch, you know, or should I buy yeah. this, like the crappy couch? And I was like, you know what? I went with, I, I, I think that some of these things really you can't, quantify exactly right because what is the trade-off right if i bought the crappy couch okay so maybe i would reach my savings goal a little bit you know sooner however i wouldn't really like my living room as much you know i wouldn't be as comfortable for the next few decades and that's important to me like how can you put a price tag on that yeah no that's right that's right how much you know it's it's consumption investment and all these things are sort of they're often mixed together um, but I think to the core point of, of the book, it's about communicating those numbers. And there's not a lot about the data visualization part in the book, which is you know what a lot of listeners of this podcast are primarily interested in. But I would suspect that if, and I'm not going to, but if I were to give you a million dollars to write the Make Numbers Count visual book, the follow-up. Oh, you can, um, you can do it, John. I believe in you. <laughs> well, so much for those new, so much for those new floors. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> um, but if you if you were to write the data viz version of this book, I would assume that the lessons would be basically the same, right? That when you make the bar chart of national debt, you still turn it into per capita numbers, or you stretch it out over time and still make those comparisons, right? Yeah, 100%. I think um, one of the basic like lessons in here, like this, this is a book about communication. And mm-hmm. what do they always tell writers? They always tell writers, show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. So I think this, if there was one takeaway from this book, it would be show, don't tell. It was turn your numbers into something that is concrete, something that's tangible, something that we don't have to think about, something that we just immediately grok. And I think it is it's the same thing with visualization. Yeah. 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 Making it as obvious as there- possible. Yeah, there is um, a really interesting part, and it's kind of halfway through the book, um, where you talk about a comparison where you're comparing the population of one city to multiple cities. And in that uh, section, you talk about large cities in China, which probably most people in the United States, including myself, like I'm looking at my little notes here because I don't know those cities, but um, the large cities compared to cities in China. And so... 
I guess the question is, you know, how do you think and how do you talk about knowing your audience in their society, their culture, their community, their country is for this whole discussion? Right. So I like to think of it in terms of why like, I call it the MacGyver principle. Right. So what did MacGyver do whenever he was trying to solve something? Um, he would just look around him and he would just use whatever tools were available to him. I think when you're trying to figure out what would resonate well with your audience, it's the same principle, right? You're using whatever geographical references would resonate with them. You know, you're using, so there's um, a section here about the social distancing measures mm -hmm. and how different places around the world um, reference those. So I think, you know, in California, you know, some of the public health announcements were, you know, one surfboard, you know, in France, mm -hmm. it was like, you know, state, two baguettes away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to handle about that one, but okay, yeah, I got the point, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think um, if you're, right, so you could use whatever cities uh, that your your audience would be familiar with, and I think that if you start talking about something that's three or four, and it's like, I don't know, I have no idea how big those cities are in China. You know, I know, right. I know that China is big, you know, kind of like the Grand Canyon or that it's like, it's just very big. And I do remember hearing those statistics about like how many cities in China, you know, have more than a million people. And I was like, that's, that's a lot. That's really right. all I know. And I feel like an idiot because like, well, I know Beijing, I know Shanghai. I know nothing about China. <laughs> right, right. No, it's, it's really, it, no, it's just an interesting kind of cultural observation that, you know, we, you know, we sort of know our own experience and it, you've already talked about it in lots of different ways but like our own experience includes where we've grown up and where we're currently living and you know yeah. those comparisons um and they don't necessarily translate globally i would guess the same is true for units of measurement um you know meter versus yard of course we're like the only ones who do that but <laughs> right yeah. which again is my point i think um Music yard, or you know, when I wrote the book with Chip, I was in New York and he was in the Bay Area. So we would also mm -hmm. talk about height. So we tried to think of okay, if you had to explain how tall Mount Everest is, that would be like you know, if a person was a grain of rice and you know, it was a three story building or a one story building, or if a person was, I think, as tall as a paperclip, then it would be a three story building. And I was thinking, like, oh, that makes sense to me because I'm in New York. Mm -hmm. There's plenty, right? For him, he was in the suburbs, he was like, mm, one story building. You know, so then we we're going mm -hmm. back and forth about, well, this makes sense to these people, this other make you know, sense to these people. So um, even just that might be something that is, is much more intuitive to an audience. And I think that is, again, one of the reasons why time works so well, because time is universal. You know, I think mm -hmm. even $1,000 would mean something completely different, you know, from, say, um, you know, a, a neurosurgeon, uh, you know, in a major city to, like, say, a, you know, a single mother with kids in Oklahoma, right. you know, a thousand dollars is something completely different, but five minutes is about five minutes. Right. Right. It's also the, the comparison that I, that I think a lot of us have seen a lot that I never found useful is like, Oh, you know, if you put the, uh, I don't know, the dollars in the debt, the physical dollars, like laid them out, it would go from, you know, here to the moon and back. And I'm always like, again. well, exactly. Yeah. Like, how many times do you say, Oh my gosh, honey, I'm so sorry. Um, I did this, but, you know, when I was out buying groceries, there was, it happened to be a sale, you know, at like the sporting store next door. So I went in and I spent like, you know, two inches worth of dollar bills. <laughs> right. Right. Like what? Yeah. When, yeah. No one ever uses that. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I, think that's, I mean, that's an example of something that happens all the time in government right, and policy. Yeah. People try to wow us with, oh, this theme is really big, right? Or, mm-hmm. oh, it's three Empire State Building tall. Or, oh, if you took yeah. the our debt and you turned it into pennies, those pennies right. would pay as much yeah. as like half of the moon or something. And I'm like, right. I have no idea what any of those numbers mean. Yeah. Right. It's, I think it's called wowism. It's like we're really just trying to like wow people with quantity, but mm-hmm. there's no, we have absolutely no idea what that means. It's just completely right. abstract. And I think people actually get away with using those kind of crappy examples because a lot of people have this narrative that they're playing. Like, I'm not a numbers person. I'm not a numbers person. Yeah. I don't know what this means. So, therefore, that must be impressive. And I don't want to say anything because I don't want to sound like an idiot. So really right. the impetus should be on the person who's doing the communicating and who's, you know, to make that not just wow, but wow. And I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like the, the underlying theme is putting everything in, in personal terms for your audience. Yeah. Personal terms. Obviously or, like, yeah. 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 Depending terms, on who yeah, that audience is, right? Yeah. Or just kind of looking at like what their typical frames of reference are, um, yeah, exactly. What kind of measurements we use on a daily basis or what kinds of items we use on a daily basis, which I think is like why counterintuitively making things small and boring can actually make them very impressive you know, counterintuitively. So say if you want to talk about like how small a percentage of something was, you could say, hey, just pen, you know, if say mm-hmm. this entire pen was our budget, you know, the amount that I'm spending is only one line, right? Right, right. Right. And it's like, right. So that we could say that as a percentage of like, um, you know, we have this example in here of like the National Endowment for the Art, you know, and if arts, and if you try to balance the budget by taking away the NEA funding, you know, say it's $160 million. Like that actually sounds like a lot, but in terms of percentages, it's not. So if you mm-hmm. try to balance the budget by removing NEA funding, it, it's the equivalent of trying to edit, I think, a 60,000 word novel by removing four words. Right. No, I was going to say, it's kind of like, in some ways, that approach is almost the opposite of wowism, right? Like, I like this term wowism, right? Like, it's kind of the opposite of that. It's saying, okay, if a human was the size to what you sort of were playing around with earlier, if if a human was the size of a paperclip, then this building would be the size of blah, blah, blah. Um, And and same thing here, right? It's if... uh, if you're editing a book, everybody sort of can think of a novel. It's about, you know, editing four words. So it's like, it seems like it's just boiling everything down into something. It's Yeah, it's the opposite of wowism, which I don't know what that word would be, but yeah. Human scale. Human scale. Human scale but it doesn't have the same ring as wowism. Yeah. I know. Right. <laughs> Smallism. Like, oh, I don't know what it is. Right. Or oh, doesism. <laughs> doesism, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, definitely. Um, so I think that it is very counterintuitive, but you actually get more of this, oh, wow, reaction when you shrink them down. Because, yeah. you know, again, our brains evolved to deal with concrete things that are right in front of our face. You know, like probably the hu- the first sentence ever said was, you know, oh, shit, there's a fire. Right. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Like, we have yeah. to, exactly. We have to do something about this right now. Um, you know, not, oh, in that field over there, you know, there are five and a half things. Like, we just don't, you know, we have to think about those. Like, we don't get that immediate, emotional, tangible reaction that we want. Um, right. So I think it is that people constantly try to add all these zeros to the numbers. You're not even thinking about taking them away because they, mm-hmm. but the thing is, once you reach this certain threshold, it's just, 
not going to get that reaction. You're not going to have people understand the ratio that you want to talk about. Yeah. Um, well, very good. This is uh, it's a really fun book. I'll also say like it was a really nice, easy read. You guys are good, good writers. So that's another reason for people to pick it up, like just get to it. Um, I wanted to just ask one more question on where people can find you and where they could learn more about because um, I'm guessing there are lots of people who are like, well, I don't work in the federal budget, but I work in my company and we are serving tens of thousands of people with our product or service, but we have the same fundamental problem. Yeah. Um, so you can find me online. <laughs> is, that what, is that what you <laughs> mean? <laughs> that, now work, that now exists, right? <laughs> right, yes, the internet now exists, right. So you can, you can find me um, in my office in Portland, Oregon, um, next to my dog. Um, more accurately, you can find me online, kstar, K-S-T-A-R-R.com. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's been I, a lot of fun talking um, to different readers and um, and helping people figure out how to use these techniques in their their own lives and their work. Um, and doing um, also working with people helping them with presentations, which has actually been really mm -hmm. fun um, because I think it's just it's so clear, it's so sharp. I did something. Sorry, um, a tangent. Uh, but I was helping somebody understand. Um, they were trying to figure out how to teach the importance of budgeting to teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. sure. is not cool. And so we did something I figured is kind of the opposite of the scale model, actually. It was um, celebrity bankruptcies. Mm. So, because oh. I think people don't like the idea of budgeting because they think in terms of like small, you know, like, oh, I have to like take this money out. They think it's for poor people. Um, but if you actually round up and you look at, no, celebrities can go bankrupt too. You know, yeah. Nick Cage, I think he's making like he made $40 million in one year. And now he right. has nothing. It's because he just right. had this like horrible spending addiction. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> so it's frame so framing it the other way. So that is a little bit of wowism, but just but again right. to the audience. To the audience, right? To teenagers who yeah, can exactly. or at least can... sort of tap into that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like so they can see the importance of it. It's not just for, you know, for people who have no money. It's really something that's important for everybody. Right, right. All right. Well, on that note of teaching kids how to be better with their money, uh, Carla, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been uh, it's been great chatting with you. Thanks for the book. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, John. It's been great. Thanks everyone for tuning into this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm going to put links to the book and Carla's website and a couple other resources in the episode notes section of the webpage. So please do check that out. Also, check out all the new opportunities where you can support the podcast. I have my existing Patreon page. I've also started a new paid version of the newsletter. I have the free version. If you just want that, that's great. The paid version will give you some behind the scenes insights, some sneak peeks at new YouTube videos, and an opportunity to meet with me every once in a while uh, in person to ask questions and have conversation and just chill out for a little bit. Um, and I've also got the Winnow app that I've started up where I'm shooting out some short little data viz things that I observe via text message if you'd rather get text rather than emails. So check all those out. They're all listed in the episode notes page of this podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I hope you will think carefully about how you communicate your next set of numbers. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A number of people help bring you the Policy Viz Podcast. 
Music is provided by the NRIs. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsuki Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy of His podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. If you'd like to help support the show financially, please visit our PayPal page or our Patreon page at patreon.com slash policyviz.